Hi, I'm Sharon Davis, Chief Executive at Young Enterprise. Welcome to Enterprising Mindsets. My guest today is Izzy Obeng. Izzy is an entrepreneur, a professional speaker, leading Foundervine, a non-profit training consultancy connecting purpose-driven companies to impactful startups. Foundervine work in partnership with world-leading companies, government and educational institutions to help diverse funders grow. Since 2018, over 2,000 young people have been skilled by Foundervine programmes. Over 300 startups launched with 62% female participation. Izzy's been featured on the BBC, The Telegraph, The Times, Forbes, and in 2019 was named by Tech Nation as one of the 50 most influential black voices in UK tech. We're proud to say that Izzy is also a YE alumna. Izzy, welcome to Enterprising Mindsets. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to you. But first of all, where are you in the world as we're speaking? I am in Ghana at the moment. So I've been in Ghana for about a year and a half now in the capital Accra. Brilliant. And are you actually doing work with Foundervine in Ghana? I am and I'm not. So um, the, the majority of our work takes place in the UK and we support uh, a lot more people globally as a result of the pandemic and everything going online. Um, so we do do some work on the ground here, going into schools, universities, uh, but most of our work still takes place in the UK. Right. We're proud that you're a Young Enterprise alumna, very, very proud. So tell us about the idea to set up Foundervine. What, you know, what, what, made, it, what made you set up Foundervine? I was working in management consulting in early 2017 and at that point I was coaching quite a few uh, young people who were interested in either starting a business or getting into uh, business in some other way and what I found over and over again was I was going to far too many events where I did not see people who looked like me and there were still too many challenges that I saw in terms of uh, people getting access to the support and the networks that they needed to start businesses, particularly from uh, my community. And, and when I say that, I mean people from ethnic minority backgrounds, women. Um, and so Foundervine was born out of a frustration that if you have a great business idea, there should be no barrier towards you doing something with it. Um, there should be no barrier in terms of access, in terms of the uh, networks you have in terms of the advice you get the only barrier should be your own ambition so we started running programs um, across London um, helping uh, people start up from early 2018. And for lots of young women the thought of founding a business is just not accessible as a concept never mind as a possibility so what made you believe that this was possible and what can we learn from that? Starting a business is tough Whichever way you cut it, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, it's really, really tough. And I think that when it comes to starting a business, there are lots of things that need to happen in terms of, particularly from a young person's perspective, a young person's journey, in order to get them to the point where they're even considering it seriously. And so, so much investment needs to take place in terms of helping build a community um, around that individual who um, are comprised of people from a wide range of professional backgrounds, entrepreneurial backgrounds, and um, also providing the different activities and the support at school, at university, wherever, to get them to the point where they have those enterprise competencies and behaviours. So, you know, how do you work as part of a team? How do you 
communicate effectively? How do you present all of those things? And it's only when those building blocks are in place, I think, that you get to a point where someone can seriously say, hey, I've got this great problem that I want to solve and I feel like I have the confidence and the tools I need to do that. There's a nod there, isn't there, to to an education system, I guess, as well, that, that begins to look beyond or has that parity of of skills and mindset mm. which encourages to think about the future not 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 just solely on on academia as well absolutely i think that we need to be embedding enterprise behaviors competencies all of that much earlier in terms of school and we should be thinking about how we get young people as young as five thinking about um not just uh not just sort of uh what we have on the national curriculum at the moment, but really preparing them for the economy of tomorrow where digital skills are more important, where financial skills are more important. And there are really interesting ways that organisations can um, work with the education system to build in those behaviours and those competencies really early. And unfortunately, we have a system now where it really depends where you're going to school. It really depends who you are and your background, the kind of extracurricular support you get in these things and when you're growing up which is unfortunate. I've listened to you speak uh, where you've talked about your own frustration at being at startup events where you've very often been the only person of colour and one of the very few women founders. What thoughts do you have about what we can do as a collective to really lean into tackling these barriers to increase access to mentors, sponsors and networks particularly to to diverse founders? Yes so there are a number of barriers that women entrepreneurs face when it comes to accessing the support that they need to grow. And when it comes to starting a business or just getting into the career of your choice, building that community as early as possible is really important. And again, I think we need to start as early as possible. Uh, When it comes to schools and universities, a huge part of our work at Foundervine, for example, is getting more professionals who look like these students who have similar lived experiences, uh, to go into these schools and show young people examples of what successful entrepreneurship can look like. Um, And it's so interesting, at the start of many of our events, we do this thing where we get everyone to put their, um, close their eyes, sorry, and think about the most successful entrepreneur that they can think of. And nine times out of 10, um, it's one of about 10 older white men um and i'm sure you can think of them you know steve jobs um uh, mark zuckerberg exactly and that one of the biggest challenges is that you cannot be who you can't see so how do we actually get more women feeling confident and empowered in doing public speaking and going into schools and talking to young people and mentoring and supporting that's one part of the puzzle because As someone who runs initiatives that get more women into entrepreneurship, I can tell you that when I put a call out for speakers, um, you know, men rush to the table, but but women often recommend their friends. And do you think that's because we don't feel like we've got anything to offer? I feel like we live in a society which tells women that in order to be socially acceptable, they have to be modest, they can't boast, they can't be arrogant, they have to be a certain type of femininity and womanhood in order to be successful and so many of us grow up thinking that in order to um, you know uh, putting ourselves out there or kind of uh, sharing ourselves and sharing what we've done is somehow not in line with 
what's expected of us. Um, and a lot of young boys don't grow up with some of those barriers. So I say that meaning that when it comes to uh, getting more mentors and sponsors and female focused networks at the table, there's one piece we need to do about increasing the confidence and the competence of women to speak publicly and share their stories and mentor. There's also another piece about the industry more generally creating more spaces for um, mentorship and sponsorship and networks. So as a company, you know, what can you be doing to get your senior leaders out into the community to speak to young people coming up? You know, as an entrepreneur, what is your responsibility to, you know, work with uh, schools and universities? So there's a kind of big ecosystem piece we need to do to increase the the capacity to mentor and to support but on an individual level I'd love to see more women stepping up and really putting their voice out there and it's that bravery and that that ability to believe that what you've got to say is is of value isn't it and it's about us supporting each other as well I guess absolutely absolutely I think there's definitely a big piece about public speaking and feeling like you have the ability to craft a story that people want to hear. And a lot of people think that that's something you just have. You know, you see people who do that and they just have that. But no, it's all learned. It's just like any other muscle that you flex. And so more training for people to build public speaking capabilities, more training in storytelling. I think that's definitely one way that we get where we need to go. I guess it's like someone saying a business is an overnight success, isn't it? Really, it isn't actually the overnight success. It's the it's the months and months of working hard and and training, and it's a bit like what you're saying there. It's about that public speaking isn't isn't natural. It does it does require training and and building that confidence. Everything takes time. It takes skill, and you know, the overnight success is such a myth. And you think about the the years and years of hard work that goes into crafting. Um, a successful career, a successful business. And it's that moment that you've worked so hard to build a strong personal brand and business brand where it's recognized and that's accelerated. And then we see an overnight success. So I think definitely building those competencies and behaviors is the same. One of the, another Rose Review that was highlighted, actually it's the number one barrier, was um, access and awareness of funding, uh, a number one issue for female entrepreneurs across the entire entrepreneurial journey from intention to scale up. Uh, Indeed, female businesses receive less funding than those headed by men at every single stage of the journey. Um, Only 1% of all venture funding goes to businesses founded by all female teams. In your experience as a female founder, what opportunities do you think we have to to tackle this in the future? Yes. So can I just start by saying how awful that statistic is? There should be absolutely no reason why only 1% is going to all female founding teams. And the extension of that is I think it's only 11 pence that's going to mixed gender founding teams. And the rest of that is going to all male teams. So just repeat that, that one again. 11 pence, did you say? Yes, around 11 pence. Yes, mixed gender. And then the rest is going to all male founding teams. That's completely unacceptable. There's there's no there's no fundamental reason why that should be the case. And so the first step is acknowledging that. And I think too often, again, when we talk about limitations of funding, sometimes it's framed in terms of female founders just not, um, you know, not putting themselves forward as much or you know, not taking the steps to reach out to uh, the venture capital industry. But we don't often talk about the unconscious biases that mean that for 
years and years and years, uh, venture capitalists have funded in their own image without realizing. Um, we don't talk about the fact that you are, I think, 12 times likely, more likely to uh, receive funding through a warm introduction. Um, and if you have a small network where uh, it's made up of predominantly men um, who come from a similar educational background or a similar cultural background or whatever, then you are more likely to invest in men. So in terms of what the industry needs to do, there needs to be more opportunities to broaden the sphere of founders who have access to capital. And one of the ways that can be done is creating uh, things like office hours where entrepreneurs have the opportunity to get face time with venture capitalists, with angel investors, and pitch their businesses directly. You therefore completely circumvent the old boys club, you circumvent you know, the, the pub chat where uh, um, an idea is scribbled on a napkin because you're actually providing those opportunities. Another thing that can be done is for the, uh, the investment industry, the funding industry, to just spend more time um, engaging with community organizations that work with uh, entrepreneurs from marginalized communities, you know, get into the community, ask questions, understand what the actual challenges are, and invest in the initiatives that actually help build capacity in these founders. Accelerators are a great opportunity to do that. We've recently launched a, an accelerator for black founders with Barclays, and that has come from a recognition that a lot of work goes into getting a business ready for investment, and it takes a whole village to do that. To providing founders with access to the stakeholders and the training that they need to become investment ready is a huge part of the journey towards leveling the mm. playing field as well. And building on that, in terms of approaches that address that intersectionality, if you like, of race and gender in making funding more accessible for, for black female founders, can you build on any approaches that you feel addresses this well or any thoughts that you feel that we could do more of? Yeah, so when it comes to intersections whether that is the intersection of race and gender or religion and gender whatever it is I think not enough uh, not enough focus is placed on that so we often talk about um, marginalized communities or underrepresented communities as as uh, sort of facts in themselves you know here are here are uh, black founders here are female founders and there are people who exist at the intersections and the challenges become more complex and so I think that there are pieces that we could do to uh, create spaces where people at these intersections can exist if you are an a disabled uh, LGBT plus woman, um, you know, the, the challenges are complex and by no means um, can we simplify them. So providing more spaces for people who represent different, um, uh, different uh, sort of underrepresentations, let's say, to, um, to speak to you, to access you, to congregate themselves, to learn what they need to learn. And also to contextualize the information that's provided to meet their needs as well. And there are several ways that you can do that, making adverts um, uh, kind of more inclusive and thinking through how you can make spaces more inclusive, et cetera, et cetera. But listening to these communities is definitely the first step.
That's very, very um, relevant. I, you know, listening to that, you know, as, as, a, as a gay woman, I, I remember there is a specific car advert that, uh, I don't know whether you, you know it, but there's a car advert which, which kind of shows two women and they've got, um, they've got a little kid and they basically, and it's a car, I think it's Renault, I think, actually. Um, and that was the first ever advert that I've ever seen, a car advert I'd ever seen, um, which actually had two women. And, and for the first time ever, you felt seen. And do you feel if in any way, you talked before about that office hours opportunity, do you think that that has more opportunities to open up access for some of this intersectionality of issues that people face. I do. I do think it is. And it's only one part of the puzzle. And that's an important thing to say. When it comes to access to funding, you can have a million hours of office hours. But if you are not taking the steps internally as an organisation to uh, publish your diversity data on your portfolio, if you're not taking the steps to make sure that the team members you have in decision-making roles actually represent the wider society. You are not taking steps to make sure that you are, um, you know, actually investing in these businesses that come to you, then, you know, we hit a, a roadblock. So this is definitely one part of the puzzle. But in terms of those intersections, I think one of those biggest things is creating communities. It's been a huge part of my career. How do we create communities around different groups of people who um, you know can support each other, can help each other, and who share similar lived experiences. And so um, there is an immense amount of work that I need to do to um, learn more about how to build spaces for LGBT plus people. There's an immense amount that I need to do to look into how I can support people uh, from neurodiverse backgrounds in our work. And we've taken steps in our accelerators to make sure that if you are neurodiverse, for example, if you are um, dyslexic, if you are um, autistic, we can actually make provisions in our work for you. And it just takes that commitment to embracing all the different types of um, difference that we have and not just and not just accepting it or acknowledging it, but really, really embracing it and making sure that you're willing to accept you're a bit ignorant and listening to people and being open towards that as well. But where we have situations in which the industries that we are trying to um, make more inclusive, uh, venture capital, since we're talking about it, it's generally dominated by people who, and we're not just talking about people who all come from the same um, ethnic background, we're talking about people who generally all come from the same school sometimes. Um, there's a lot more work that needs to be done in terms of people just being open to a new conversation about genuine inclusion. And I guess it's about the having the humility of saying, I don't know, I need we need to do the work. We need to do the work to to understand we're gonna get stuff wrong, you know, particularly around language and and really leaning into how do we learn and we're gonna make mis- mistakes, but it's having the humility, I guess, to be open about that we're on a journey. It is. And there's a really interesting conversation that everyone who works in the inclusion space is having at the moment, but that business case for diversity. And too often when we're talking about diversity, we're frantically trying to convince businesses, funders that um, by being more diverse, it's going to make them more money somehow. We're talking about how diversity helps strengthen the bottom line. And where we put the conversation in those terms, it becomes very dangerous because we're ignoring the fact that 
there are a broad range of reasons why, as an organization, you need to represent your society. You need to represent your your clients, your customers, the people that work within your teams. And if you do not do that, then you're you're not your days are limited. You know, you're 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 not actually building an organization that can be sustainable. And so and so that that's the question there. How do we move away from organizations who are obsessed with um, shareholder value and move towards ones that are more interested in community value, more interested in long-term sustainability in its more broad sense. And actually thinking about communities, we, we, we um, earlier in the week, we asked some young women um, if they had some questions for you as a female founder, and they did. Um, so I have them here if you're ready. Okay, it. so the first one is any tips on how to persevere when you face challenges on your on your founder journey? If you do not face any challenges on your founder journey, then you're you're definitely not doing enough. It's that kind of joke around entrepreneurship where it's just kind of just an emotional roller coaster and you spend just as much time um wailing that something's gone wrong as you do celebrating the wins. And I think it's so important just to acknowledge that failure and see that failure as um, a learning point that you can move forward from. And I look at some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. They are on their fourth, their fifth, their sixth business. And each time that they have failed, quote unquote, they have taken that piece of learning and used it to innovate. And so it's it's important to acknowledge that you won't know every, everything from the beginning and you know people will let you down and things will go wrong. But if you have that growth mindset, that enterprising mindset, that commitment towards your your own journey um then you just you know you just you you just keep going that's it you just keep going you acknowledge it you move on you reflect on it you find a coach if you need to but you keep going and it's well you're a testament to that aren't you so you know it's, that's brilliant to hear you say that um the second one question i've got for you from from a young woman is what's your biggest regret it's a really good question so i'll give a bit of context before i say what it is. So I started my career in management consulting and, you know, I grew up in inner city London and um, I was kind of not many people around me pursued the kind of path that I did. And it was a huge journey to get to the point where I could work in, you know, a corporate space and do the kind of work that I was doing. And I remember going into that environment as a grad, um, the only black woman in, in my cohort if I remember correctly and my confidence just sunk my confidence sunk because I didn't feel supported by those around me I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone I, I felt like I was kind of starting from scratch uh, confidence wise and one one regret that I have is that I didn't remember all the time what it took to, to get there I didn't remember how hard I worked and how good I was and I let other people's perceptions of my value guide me for too long and I think that it's so important you know particularly if you are a woman if, if you're someone from a working class background whatever it is that you don't let the barriers and limitations that other people create define you um, and I'm so much more confident in what I do know and what I don't know now and so I would tell myself back then when I was 21 that um you're only you're only kind of stopping yourself from growing by letting all of these things that are happening to you um affect you you are good you are good at what you do that's why you are here so just keep going 
Thank you. As part of Young Enterprises' entrepreneurship programmes, you'll know thousands of young women are starting their student businesses as we speak. Many alumni are keen to keep going with their uh, entrepreneurial ideas. We want to help them build the confidence and, and awareness of the skills and mindset that they need to make the most of opportunities. What tips would you give young women out there considering starting a business right now? This is a really, really good time to start a business, in my opinion. I think that we are entering a completely new way of living as a society. And, you know, the pandemic has really, um, it's it's really kind of opened up new opportunities for us to connect with each other, to, to try new ways of working, to buy in different ways. Um, and I'm seeing a lot more um, young people seriously considering um, monetizing what they're doing at the moment. And so for me, I think that my... My advice would be to to have a go at testing something that you are passionate about, interesting, interested in in a small way. And so if you have an idea for something, do some research on it, ask some questions, find out how you can actually bring something into the market in a small way, get that feedback, grow it, and just iterate on it that way. Um, and there's so much you can do for free nowadays as well um so you can set up websites for free you can um, there are all sorts of tools out there for helping growing businesses that you can use to build apps um etc etc and so for me it's just kind of giving it a go and having a go at testing those ideas um and if they don't work out then you've still learned something so now is the time to build those project management capabilities those to those kind of um, app building skills, all of those things, just give it a go. Um, and you know what you lose. It's exciting, isn't it? It's quite an inspiring time to be to be thinking about starting a business, isn't it? It is. It is. I think the it's a you know who can talk about twenty twenty? Let's just we've only got a few days left until twenty twenty one. But I think one of the great things that has come from all of the challenges we face is just the access to information and the access we have to each other and learning that's come from it so just maximizing those opportunities izzy thank you so much for your time today thank you for your passion thank you for your honesty it's been fantastic to talk to you thank you for your time thanks for having me enterprising mindsets is a podcast brought to you by young enterprise if you'd like to hear more please do subscribe via your favorite podcast app